Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help us keep going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. G'day and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast coming to you from Melbourne, Australia broadcast from the studios of 3CR your only radio left My name's Susanna Duffy and we'll be looking in this episode at the budget of course When you cut through the economic jargon and the mind-bogglingly massive numbers, the federal budget really boils down to the basic question. Will your life be easier or will it be harder for the next 12 months? Before we get into that, I want to give you an update on Tito the cat. There is still no news of Tito the missing cat in Bolivia. Since January, police, firefighters, aviation authorities and many volunteers have searched for this grey and white tabby who went missing on a domestic flight. But now, Consumer Rights Minister Jorge Silva has called in a psychic to try and make contact and locate the missing Moggy. Apparently, the psychic and interspecies communicator can communicate with cats, so we hope to hear better news of Tito soon. Best of luck there, Tito. And in some news closer to home, will he stay or will he go? The former Prime Minister Scott Morrison is on the verge of leaving politics, or so we're told. Now, we've heard this story before, so it's a never-ending speculation if you're into that sort of speculation. Scott has been linked to a number of defence corporations in Britain. Apparently they're keen to employ him in an AUKUS-related position. But there are no names attached to these sources. The source of these reports, well, I reckon, could actually be Morrison himself. Seriously, there are many people who would like Morrison to leave Parliament as soon as possible and never be heard of ever again. But it also brings up the question of the working life of ministers after they leave Parliament and whether their new working lives are in our national interest. With Scott's shenanigans still in mind... I see that there's a lot of talk coming up about possible formation of a new political party. There's academic material being published about this concept. And it's about the politics of the centre-right going through a reformation. 
The last time this happened was with the formation of the Liberal Party itself in 1944. It's easier to work with what you've got than trying to start something totally new. And remember, there were many suggestions after the Labour Party lost their fourth consecutive federal election in 2004 that it should disband and reform in a totally different way. But of course the party went on and won the 2007 federal election. A political party can never be written off, but if the creation of a new major political party is ever going to happen, this could be the most favourable time. What do you reckon, listener? Personally, this worries me. It's not the so-called centre-right which causes me concern. That mob just saddens me. But the mad far-right sicken me. Will disgruntled pollies jump into the morass of one nation? Or into antipathy and resistance? The Australian Defence League? The Australian Protectionist Party? The Australian First Party? Look, to say it's a worry is an understatement. 3CR Something different, listener. I came across some interesting stuff on the Basque people. I really don't know much about them except that they're pretty good at lifting rocks. You know where Basque country is? It's a tiny little place on the border between France and Spain, up in the mountains. And they speak... Please bear with me. They speak Euskera, one of the oldest living languages in Europe, whose origins remain unknown. They also have one of the oldest sports too, rock lifting or heri kirolak. Here in Australia, we go in for the sport of timber chopping. It's a sport that recalls our pioneering days. We even have a team that travels internationally, and they're called, naturally enough, the Chopperoos. The Basque people pick up rocks, big rocks, very big rocks. The current champion lifted just under 302 kilos. 302 kilos. My back aches just thinking of it. The Basque people are the oldest culture, not only in Spain, but in Europe. They're descended from Neolithic farmers long before the Romans invaded the Iberian Peninsula and they still maintain their distinct language and identity. The unified republican consciousness that the French Revolution achieved was not replicated in Spain. In more modern times, the Basque people suffered under capitalism, which came to Spain slowly and incoherently. Within a state dominated by the Castilian monarchy, a reactionary Catholic Church and a repression of non-Castilian languages and cultures. So they have a long history of repression from the Roman armies through to General Franco. That's a long time. The right to self-determination for the Basque people in the Spanish state has never been recognised. But they're still there with their own culture picking up big rocks and producing their music. 
Now, I'm a fan of Irish music myself, and I know a slip jig when I hear one. This is a little Basque folk melody. Music is definitely related to Irish music just across the Atlantic there. As I said, I'm very fond of Irish music. And if that's not a slip jig, I'll go he. The Basque also like bagpipes and flutes. But I didn't include a bagpipe number because I'm aware that not many people share my admiration and affection for lots and lots of bagpipe music unless we're marching up Burke Street behind the pipe band. Oh well, another time. Hello, this is a short message from 3CR. We're a community radio station, and right now we're seeking community donations so we can keep the station going. Please consider what you can donate to help us stay on air. Full details at 3cr.org.au slash donate. Enjoy your podcast. But let's have a quick look at the budget. I couldn't help but notice the extra 19 billion as part of a review of the Australian Defence Force. A review. This is not for new guns or new uniforms or shoes or tins of corned beef. This is a review. Look, the military industry is like having a savage tiger in your backyard. You've got to keep feeding it. It's an area that rarely receives cutbacks, as every other sector in the community does. All that the Defence Department has to do is ramp up fear of war, fear of China, and every dollar they want will be given to them. I suppose that national defence is an important issue, but how important is it? And why do defence matters always force every other issue onto the back burner? 
And don't forget the cost of the AUKUS deal. That's not put into the budget. We'll speak to the BL from the bush. The BL from the bush remembers when we used to ride on the back of our sheep. But now we're riding on the backs of our poorer citizens. And he urges the Prime Minister to implement the first priority recommendation of the Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee and so deliver an adequate increase to all welfare-related payments. Yeah, g'day comrades, g'day listener. This is the BL from the bush calling in. Hope you are all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Personally, I'm pretty uh, annoyed, and that's that there's not going to be much relief for people in receipt of social security entitlements. A very minimum payment. There's hundreds of thousands of people on social security entitlements that are living in poverty. They are living in poverty. They either make a choice of whether to put clothes on their back or their kids, go without food for themselves so their kids can, can go to a school excursion or whatever, and they're on about $50 a day. Now, that needs priority. That needs to be fixed. Bring, bring that money up to so we can have a, a reasonable living conditions, not impoverished people in this country, in this country of all countries, when we when we can just churn out thirty and forty and fifty billion dollars for submarines, thirty and forty billion dollars for tax cuts to the people that that do not, and I mean do not need it, yet we have uh, a culture here of politicians keeping Australians in poverty. The very Australians that, given a chance, will commit themselves to helping Australia financially. Whatever you think of the Labor Party, we'll soon see. Uh, and also this need for, for more staff and money into, in the NDIS and also the hospital crisis or Medicare. Medicare was the flagship of the Labor Party, has been for a long, long time. There's been generations of people out there that have known no different, no different than going to the doctor, swiping your card, you either walk out or you pay a little bit. Now you can't even do that. People are driving hundreds and hundreds of miles to find a, a doctor to bulk bill. And then what's been happening, especially in regional areas, is that let alone you can't find a bulk billing doctor, is that they're just shutting their doors, they're walking, they're going. This is no thanks to the coalition parties over the journey that have that have done their best to get rid of it. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, listener, just to see what this government really thinks of the people of Australia. Stuff overseas can be dealt with later. Let's fix up the problem that's right in front of your nose here first. That's the most vulnerable in our society, struggling to get a feed. Uh, so that's about it. There to struggle, there to win. If you don't vote, you lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast, the only show left. Oh, yeah, and vote yes for The Voice. The job seeker rate will permanently increase for all recipients by $40 a fortnight. That's a standard bread and butter labour issue. But that increase falls short of recommendations by unions, business 
and social services experts. So the government will be providing an increase of $2.85 a day for those people with the least. The Stage 3 tax cuts will deliver $25 a day to people on the highest income. Surely those priorities are wrong. Keep in debt and can't pay your rent. Just eat some porridge and buy a tent and don't worry. Be happy. Don't want to wait in A and Jump the queue, go privately and don't worry. Be happy. Got bailiffs knocking at your door. Just hide your money all offshore and don't worry. Be happy. Find a job with better pay. Or get a mate to lend you 800k and don't worry. Be happy. Economy to its knees. I got the payoff as your pay squeezed, and don't worry. Be happy. You're fleeing persecution from the crooked regime. Now you're deported and I'm living the dream, so don't worry. Be happy. Got caught red and in now you've lost your job. Just make your fortune eating kangaroo knob and don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. Our tax system is in a pretty bad state. It doesn't seem to be capable of raising enough revenue to fund the activities of government. Certainly not today. Since funding the activities of government is the purpose of taxation, you can only conclude that the Australian tax system is not fit for purpose. If we want decent public services and a caring society, we have to be prepared to raise more revenue. Even if we increase total tax revenue by as much as 4% of the GDP, we would still be less heavily taxed than the OECD average. We'd be about the same as Canada. Of course, it's understandable why Labour is cautious about tax reform. The attempts of previous Labour governments to introduce a super profits tax for resource companies and a carbon tax led to them losing office. The problem is that debate about taxation always starts from the premise that lower taxation is the obvious goal and, of course, the overriding priority. And the purpose of taxation to pay for essential public services was ignored. It's like people don't seem to appreciate that in opposing higher taxation, they're opposing adequate provision of health, education and so much else. I wonder when Australian society can move on from that. 3CR We hope you're enjoying your 3CR podcast. We're a community radio station that does one big fundraiser each year. Right now, we need your help to raise $275,000. We hope you can contribute. 
head to 3cr.org.au slash donate and please make a tax-deductible donation. And now, back to your podcast. I spent ages going through all these masses of figures trying to find out what funding from the budget was going to the health system. Well, particularly, specifically to hospitals which have been left high and dry for years. Now we should talk about hospitals, about overcrowding and under-resourcing and the incredible, well, unbelievable waiting times, not just for elective surgeries, but for emergency medical treatments. Wait times for essential surgeries have blown out in the past financial year. These are not elective surgeries, they are essential. And only 63% of patients referred for urgent planned surgery are being treated within the recommended 90 days. That's more than one in three patients waiting longer than the clinically indicated time. In the hospital itself, in the waiting rooms, for patients who attended an emergency department and were assessed as urgent, just 58% were seen within the recommended 30 minutes. One in three had to stay longer than four hours in the emergency department because beds were not available in the hospital to admit them. The number of public hospital beds available for people aged over 65 has dropped by more than half. Federal and state governments, Liberal, National and Labour, have underfunded the public health system over the last 30 years. They've driven down expenditure for essential services, like health and education, in order to cut corporate taxation and make Australia more attractive to investors. So this disregard for the needs of public health and its subordination to profit are seen quite clearly with the lettered rip scrapping of evidence-based measures to limit the spread of COVID-19. There were over 20,000 more deaths last year than if the pandemic had not happened, with a total excess mortality of 12%. Most excess deaths occurred in people older than 65, the ones whom big business largely regards as expendable, no longer able to work, and a burden on the health and welfare budgets. There is also, dear listener, a hidden waiting list where some patients wait years to get on an official waiting list to see a specialist. Some patients wait longer than six years to see specialists for an initial appointment. They can die waiting for it, but that's less money to spend, isn't it? People needing a consultation with a brain surgeon are waiting longer than two years for urgent appointments while the recommended time frame is 30 days maximum. In Tasmania, it can take longer than six years to see a neurosurgeon. In parts of South Australia, specialists such as gastroenterologists and ophthalmologists can take as long as five years to be seen. You could scarcely believe these figures. It's horrendous. If they're not dying while they're waiting, the delay will alter the outcome and will be the difference between life and death. Is this what we really want our health system to be? Is this acceptable for our health system in the 21st century? And I'm still trying to work out 
what the budget has for climate change, what these figures really mean. Oh, I wish I'd studied economics for more than one year. But I mustn't forget the spies, our own Australian spies. Now, they're getting a really big funding boost of about $470 million over the next four years. They want to modernise the spy agency and there's an extra $185 million per year ongoing. But what's it for? Well, it's a secretive business. It's all about spies. So we'll never know what this money gets spent on, will we? Your taxes at work. Before I leave you, listener, I want to introduce you to a strange little group called Communism in Space. Yes, that's their name. The name of this group reminds me of a play that I was in once, and that play was called... (laughs) was called Communist Naked Hippies in Space. It was put on at Trades Hall, and we had an enthusiastic audience response. The Bagman had a good part in that also. And I thank you for joining me in this episode of Left After Breakfast. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. So until then, cheerio and ciao from us. And let's go straight into this communism in space.